Volatility is rampant and spreads have widened. Is it time to get back into risk assets? Here's what matters. Live from coronavirus quarantine in New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Terenbeth. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. This includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of April 6, 2020, and we're finally in the second quarter of the year. New quarter, fresh start. Or more of the same? <laughs> okay, probably more of the same, but at least we have a fresh perspective on investing. Uh, beginning of the month always brings the latest portfolio views from our asset allocation process. That's right. Highly volatile times like this, we're actually discussing portfolio allocation ideas every day. But each month, when we take a step back and review the latest macroeconomic data or valuations, we check those views against market sentiment and momentum and discuss the implication for our portfolios. One of our first episodes of this podcast is all about our investment process. So check that out if you're interested in knowing how we think about portfolio allocation each month. Exactly. And before we get into the investment idea, just one quick note on the most common question investors are asking right now. Let me guess. Is it time to get back into risk assets? Exactly. They want to know, should I get back into the market? Should I invest? And look, every investor's goals are different. It's your goals that should define your investment strategy, not necessarily conditions in the market right now. Yeah, precisely. And for most investors, the answer to the question, should I get back into the market is probably not. Uh, There are definitely opportunities out there, and we'll get to that shortly. But the high-level takeaway is that there's still pretty big risks facing the economy. We talked about some of those in last week's episode, the, the three risk buckets, liquidity risk, credit risk, and health risk. And we're not out of the woods yet on those risks. So if news on the health front is likely to be grim for the next couple of weeks and those risks aren't resolved, then we're going to continue to see market volatility. Yeah, and I I really don't think that the markets have priced in those risks fully yet. I'm thinking about just the degree to how many people have been asking me about should they buy, is now the time to buy. And, you know, very few people have ever asked me, is it time to sell? And so I think that the balance of buyers and sellers may come into question in the next couple of weeks. So let's dive into those dislocation opportunities and the potential opportunities that they might bring to investors down the road. Now it's time for our portfolio pause, a segment where we share an investment idea for your portfolio. There are lots of investment ideas that come out that came out of our asset allocation meeting last week, but I think we can boil them down into three main categories. One, we're definitely still cautious. Two, the Fed is buying a lot. And three, there are always other regions. Well, when a market is volatile like this, the most important decision an investor has to make is just general appetite for risk, or what you would call beta exposure. And what I mean by that is, 
big swings in the market amplify any choice you make outside of your benchmark. And so the decision to be risk on or defensive just in itself is going to be a really important decision compared to the decisions about where you put that risk. Exactly. That's the number one takeaway. We're still cautious. We want our beta exposure to be less. We know that there's going to be volatility ahead. So we're staying underweight equities, particularly U.S. equities, where we think valuations may still be on the high side. And also, that same can be said in risky bonds or credit. But valuations and credit have improved a fair bit since the crisis began. Are there not opportunities in credit? That's one of the areas where I think you could probably make a case that it could be time to get back into risk assets. Cases could be made. You're right. Spreads have widened in high yield, and that creates opportunities. Widening spread basically means more attractive valuations, particularly in circumstances where whole segments of the market have sold off. And some individual names probably didn't deserve to to be sold. Um, So if you can work with a good active manager, I guess, that can separate winners from losers and look at the cash flows of these companies, uh, that's that's a good start. And then if if you as an investor have a longer time horizon, maybe one to three years, then yes, there are certainly good opportunities if you have an ability to tolerate some risk. But in a balanced portfolio like ours, we don't see that risk as being appropriately rewarded, at least in the short term. Where there might be opportunities, though, and this is, I think, where you were going with item number two, which is the securities where the Fed is buying. So to Exactly. Yeah. So easing the pain of the economic shutdown, or that was the idea of what the Fed um, is, is trying to step into the market to do, has done a lot to assist financial market functioning. And one of the things it's done is, or the Fed has done, is started to buy short-term municipal bonds and longer-dated corporate bonds. And look, that that doesn't mean they're buying everything. And investors definitely shouldn't pile in blindly to these securities, but it's hard to fight against an asset class where the Fed is going to be active in the market for the next couple of months. Yeah. We've seen time and time again since the global financial crisis that it's very difficult to fight the Fed. The third idea came out of these meetings, and that was about international opportunities. And this is where differences in what policymakers are doing, like the Fed, Congress or other governments will make all the difference. So do you want to talk about the emerging markets and, and I'll cover the developed markets, Lauren? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll talk about emerging markets, um, although I should put a disclaimer out there that, I, that I'm, I've, in the past couple of years, kind of always been bearish emerging markets, but um, just taking the portfolio as a The emerging market perma-bear. Um, I like to think that that there are conditions by which I would like them, but now's not the time. So just in in terms of our overall portfolio, we're holding neutral positions in both emerging markets and international developed markets. So I don't want to suggest that we're extremely underweight. But on the emerging markets side of things, there's two ideas to balance. On one hand, valuations are attractive in emerging markets equities relative to U.S. equities. Plus, China is closer to the other side of this virus impact than developed markets are likely to be, and that's about a third of most emerging markets indices. So plenty of reasons to think why emerging markets might have an opportunity. But on the other hand, 
many emerging markets are behind the U.S. in their virus impact. So if China's ahead, Latin America, African countries, India are behind. And so their economies are also driven by external factors, things like global growth, U.S. monetary conditions, dollar strength when they have external liabilities. And there are many energy exporting emerging markets, too, which will be impacted by lower oil prices. So on balance, we'll call that even. Uh, but if you listen to the team, I would definitely be the one uh, saying it, it, it weighs on the favor of being worried about emerging markets. Yeah, there's definitely a mixed, a mixed bag of views that the team can point to. And I think that same mixed bag of views is the dynamic that's at play in international developed markets. Europe and Japan were admittedly already struggling with weak growth before this corona crisis hit. Uh, their policymakers are stepping up to help cushion the impact of the virus, but they have less firepower than the U.S. did. And they are probably more impacted by slower global growth and manufacturing weaknesses and disrupted supply chains. We believe that there will be an entry point for international developed markets later down the road, maybe when more cyclical opportunities are present and the virus has been eradicated. But Effects from a potential U.S. downturn makes the timing of that opportunity super unclear. All right. So staying cautious, but keeping an eye on what policymakers are doing, which might drive some opportunities, and uh, neutral on emerging markets and international developed markets relative to our U.S. underweight. That's a lot of good stuff. So let's leave it there for this week. Coming up this week, you guessed it, more COVID. Yeah, nothing to add. It was so sad looking at um, the economic data that's supposed to come out this week. Some important indicators or typically important indicators like the CPI numbers coming out on Friday and inflation. Um, it just it just doesn't matter. We'll be watching initial claims. I don't know, Rob, if there's anything else that you're watching on the health front. Yeah, I think that there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of containment. People have been watching Italy's case numbers and um, they've moved from logarithmic or exponential uh, to to linear, and, and now on a um, the number of new cases seem to decline each day in Italy, which suggests that containment measures are working. And that's, that's really optimistic for an overburdened healthcare system. And so hopefully we'll start to see the same in, in New York City and then down the road, um, other states and regions in the United States. I certainly hope so. Not not only the markets, but also all of us are depending on it. So that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, hit us up on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at NewYorkLifeInvestments.com slash blog. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We look forward to hearing from you. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamons, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. 
Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York, 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.